is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Christine San Jose strolls along the Poets Row and recites writings inspired by eagles and colorful birds. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua shares wisdom and observation in his late winter hooked on fishing report. Stephanie Phillips finalizes her conversation with forester Laurie Raskin. In this week's segment, Now You Know, we'll hear about conservation. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. There are reports today of explosions in separatist-controlled eastern Ukraine. The West is warning that Russia could use the ongoing fighting there as a pretext for an invasion. Here's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg speaking from Munich. These are dangerous days for Europe. Russia has relentlessly massed troops in and around Ukraine in the biggest military buildup since the Cold War. Stoltenberg says there's still time for Russia to step back from the brink of war. Vice President Kamala Harris says sanctions are the tool of choice should Russia invade Ukraine, with economic costs to Moscow that would be significant and unprecedented. Harris also spoke today from the security conference in Munich, where she met with the leaders of Ukraine and Germany. President Biden says he is convinced Russia has already made the decision to invade Ukraine. NPR's Asma Khalid has more on the sanctions the administration is preparing. The Biden administration says the sanctions being considered are far more severe than what was imposed on Russia in 2014 after it annexed Crimea. Dalip Singh is a deputy national security advisor. The measures that we have prepared... Uh, the severity of those measures and the institutions that we would impose them upon and the immediacy of those sanctions uh, are among the most severe financial sanctions that have ever been contemplated. But the initial sanctions package will probably not include measures to remove Russia from the international banking transaction system known as SWIFT. Singh said the White House is focused on other proposals it could do in lockstep with allies that will have fewer spillover effects. Asma Khalid, NPR News, the White House. Members of the Sackler family are now offering up to $6 billion to settle lawsuits stemming from the opioid crisis. From member station WBUR in Boston, Martha Biebinger has more. The offer has increased by roughly $1.5 billion, but a mediator says a few states are not signing on, so she is proposing continued negotiations. The Sacklers are putting more money on the table now to stop a federal appeal of their prior deal and secure protection from future lawsuits. There's a vigorous debate among states and families about whether to take what money they can get now or instead hold out for more accountability. In a statement, the Sacklers company, Purdue Pharma, says the goal is to use the funds to address the opioid crisis. The family and company have denied that Purdue's drug OxyContin played a key role in fueling that crisis. For NPR News, I'm Martha Biebinger in Boston. Wall Street has ended a second straight week of declines amid geopolitical tensions. Another big concern for investors is high inflation. The Federal Reserve is likely to start raising interest rates by next month. And you're listening to NPR News. Support comes from 
Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections. With showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppock, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on today's show... Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua has a late winter hooked on fishing report. In this week's segment, Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips finalizes her conversation with forester Lori Raskin. But first, here is Christine San Jose with spirited narrations along the poet's row. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. along the poet's row today. Let's start with our national bird and just about our national poet, The Dalliance of the Eagles by Walt Whitman. Skirting the river road, my forenoon walk, my rest, skyward in air, a sudden muffled sound, The Dalliance of the Eagles. The rushing, amorous contact high in space together. The clinching, interlocking claws. A living, fierce, gyrating wheel. Four beating wings, two beaks, a swirling mass, tight grappling. In tumbling, turning, clustering loops, straight downward falling. Till all the river poised, the twain yet one, a moment's lull, a motionless still balance in the air. Then parting, talons loosening, upward again, on slow, firm pinions slanting their separate diverse flight she hers he his pursuing and now from down to earth our own Marsha Niemeyer she calls it backyard birding scarlet tanager American red start pileated woodpecker each dutifully checked in the field guide life list. Yet greed still creeps in. Not enough that vermilion feathers blaze through green leaves. I want more. Hermit thrush, solitary vireo, great crested flycatcher. Whence this murderous inclination to collect names, to nail a word on a thing and say, I know, killing possibility? Oh, to be more bird-like, to free-fall without a net, or soar a whim of the wind on my wings, to be one instant of prajna, one flash of red feathers, in a grey sky. And Prajna? Marsha tells me that is Sanskrit for wisdom, understanding. 
So here's wishing you lots of birds and no end of prajna. This has been Christine San Jose along the Poet Row for Farm and Country. Radio Catskill and Farm and Country, this is Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing. Winter on the Delaware River. The upper Delaware during the winter can be exciting to observe. The way frozen ice forms and thaws on our moving water is something magical, powerful, and entertaining, especially on the wide, flat, and swift Delaware River. The ice has a way of forming so thick and ice jams cross the river, they block the river's surface ice and flow for miles, and a river of icebergs form as an impassable frozen tundra. This is full of sounds and sights when observed from a safe location such as the Narrowsburg or Roebling Bridge. Both are prime areas to view our winter ice flows. You will likely observe a high number of bald eagles along these areas as well. Many eagles migrate here from further north where all the water becomes frozen solid during the cold Canadian winters. A good portion of our river's ice has broken up already this winter, during a warm rain event in early February. This led to an early but powerful ice out, clearing most of the main river channel of ice. While this happens, the icebergs can and will often scour the river bottom and banks. Sometimes it will change the course of the river. This is usually noticed when an ice out event is particularly large and powerful. This year, I do not think we will see much change due to ice. I am sure the eagles are enjoying the open river for fishing and habitat reasons. Watching an eagle claw grab a fish is a stunning experience. But as I have seen many times too, they miss their targets often. I think their claw to eye coordination is off once in a while. The immature eagles are best known for this. It takes practice to be a good fisherman for an eagle or a human. As for fishing on the Delaware during the winter, the walleye fishing can be very good, but the large icebergs along the riverbanks limit access for the time being. Enjoy some more ice fishing on our area's lakes and ponds, and think spring for open water fishing. Tight lines, everyone. For Radio Catskill, Farm and Country, and Hooked on Fishing, this has been Evan Padua, casting off.
Good morning. This is Stephanie Phillips with Now You Know for Farm and Country. This morning I'm going to try and find out whether it's possible to harvest trees from our forests in a way that they remain beautiful and continue to provide homes for wildlife. My expert today is Lori Raskin. Lori's company, DHW Consulting, helps property owners get the most out of their wooded areas. Lori, where are you from originally and where did you get your education? I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, which is where my family grew up. And I received my education in Syracuse, New York, at the College of Environmental Science and Forestry. New York State seems to be interested in forest maintenance and renewal. What kind of initiatives has it put forward? Well, there's lots of things. We could have a whole show on that, Stephanie. But to sum it up in brief, when it comes to managing forests, there are a lot of government assistance programs to help offset the cost of forest management. One of them in New York State is the New York State Forest Tax Law 480A, which is administered by the Department of Environmental Conservation. And what the 480A tax law, we'll just call it that, um, does for you is you can save up to 80% on your taxes if you own 50 contiguous acres of forested property that meets the proper stocking guides and you need a forest management plan, etc. And it's a long commitment. And so it's incredibly important to understand what you're committing to rather than just jumping on the bandwagon of, oh, I'm going to save up to 80% on my taxes. No, this law is intentional. The reason why New York State offers that large of a tax abatement on your forested acres if you enroll in this program is so that we can be good stewards of the forest from above and below and always make sure that through time we can have a sustainable yield of a forest product. So these state-funded programs are designed for both conservation and generation of revenue. So it is for revenue, the forest tax law. The purpose of it is so that we can make sure that New York State is able to continue to produce a viable forest product through time. So if you have this tax abatement, to help offset the cost of forestry practices, that it's wonderful because then we're ensuring that we're not cutting down forests and deforestation is not occurring or that cherry picking is not happening. Scientific justification needs to be employed to the forest management regimes that are employed if you are enrolled in this program. So other programs outside of 480A are through the Natural Resource Conservation Service, NRCS. That's the umbrella to a program called EQIP, which stands for the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. And through this program, you can have what's called a CAP 106 Forest Management Plan. You can apply for funding through EQIP with this management plan to also help offset forest-based activities. This is offered through NRCS because forestry is considered an agricultural activity. And EQIP was first formed so that farmers could apply for assistance and help offset the cost of their agricultural activities. When you're saying cost, 
you're really talking about lost revenue from putting the land into other uses than farming. Is that what the cost is? That's a really good question, Stephanie. It depends. Costs associated with land management is going to be different from woodlot to woodlot and also from person to person because one of the most important things to define first before we employ any forest management to a landscape is to define our goals and objectives. And your neighbor's goals and objectives for their woods may be different compared to that of the other person. So there are costs associated with perhaps planting trees or installing water bars, which mitigate from soil erosion and sedimentation, which you can find in the New York State Best Management Guide that we use to help mitigate the soil erosion and sedimentation during forest-based activities like logging, for example. However, perhaps one landowner would like to clear an acre of forest in the middle of their woods and plant a food plot, or maybe they want to plant an apple orchard. Well, there's costs associated with that, and it's not all of the time that the forest has money standing there to offer letting that happen for you. So these governmental programs help pay for some of those ideas. What other programs does New York have? New York State also just launched another program called Regenerate New York that's administered through the DEC. And the whole purpose of this is to help remediate forests because deer are eating everything in the understory and not much is left that is going to grow up as the forests we know today. So this program, Regenerate New York, is designed to do exactly what it's titled. It will help pay for 75% of the cost of reforestation or afforestation, deer fencing, timber stand improvement, and herbicide treatment. There are different criteria that are necessary to be eligible for this program. Round one already happened last year, and it is said that a round two is going to come out this year in 2022, sometime in the summer or early fall. Are the laws similar in Pennsylvania about conserving forests? Can you tell us about what Pennsylvania has in terms of programs? I know that they are very big into conservation. Having green space is incredibly important to Pennsylvania. So they have a program called Clean and Green, where you can enroll your acreage, providing that it's eligible, and receive up to 50% off of your taxes. That is a program that I'm aware of, and your forested acres are eligible for the Clean and Green program. Lori, suppose you're counseling property owners who want to make money from their trees. How do you assess for them what their trees are worth? So when I worked for the Wagner companies, it was a two-year training program to learn how to answer your question. <laughs> so if we have that kind of time. Well, <laughs> let, let's, try, let's try two minutes. Okay, sure. So when I'm assessing trees for revenue, I'm looking at the size I'm looking at the faces of the tree. Well, what the heck does that mean, the faces of the tree? So a tree is a cylinder, essentially. And if you were to look at the tree as a square, well, the square has four faces. So if you try to envision your circular tree as having four sides to it, 
we call those faces in the forest products industry. And so we're looking at the quality of those faces. Are they clean? Are they clear? Do they have blemishes? Are there knots? Are there cracks? What kind of defects are there? We even tap on the trees to hear them to see if they sound hollow or not. Tap on them with a stick not tap them like a sugar maple tree. We're not getting the sap out of them or anything like that. And also the market, a tree's value is also dependent on the current market. Right now, white wood is pretty hot. So white oak is very popular along with American ash because that's what's in fashion today. Mentioning the ash, of course, we have ash pests also these days, which is probably impacting the lumber industry significantly. Oh, it sure did, but in all the good ways, for example, for the most part. Now, when the Emerald Ash Borer really hit New York State, I want to say well over 10 years ago, for those landowners who had forested acres that could be harvested for timber, but I manage a lot of properties where I can tell you, sure, you can have a timber harvest now, but if you wait 10 years or 15 years or even 20 years, you'll get more money providing, you know, there's no biological event that occurs that kills your trees. But in any event, there's been a lot of timber harvesting done to salvage ash trees because if you recreate on your property and you have a lot of ash trees, uh, white American ash trees on the, on the property, then they become as they die, they become snags, which is great for wildlife, but it's also a hazard because then they can fall on you. And then it's also dollars that are standing there that you're letting go to waste. So the industry not only was doing ash salvages, but it's while you're there, why put your tire tracks on the ground twice? You know, it, it helped do a timber harvest with other species as well. Another reason why you would want to hire a professional to help you oversee the management of your property is because you want to make sure that you have contracts put in place, service agreements between you and your forester or you and your logger. If you have a timber sale that you want administered, I recommend it would protect you if you had the trees marked so that you can always compare apples to apples and know what you're selling compared to that of allowing someone in your forest and just have at it because you never know what they will or won't take. What are you going to get paid for? What are you not going to get paid for? Unfortunately, there are many instances, especially in the past, where someone offers to a private landowner who has wooded acres, oh, I'll, I'll cut your woods and, and I'll do this and I'll do that. And then they'll cut the woods, but they didn't do the this and that part. And then the public has an atrocious view of logging, which then in turn they do with forestry as well, because it just wasn't done properly. But that's why I recommend that you always seek out professional assistance and use your resources and then make a decision moving forward. Lori, how do you make sure that trees will continue to grow and produce lumber over the years on your property when you're interested in lumber harvesting? Wow, Stephanie, that's a great question. How do we manage trees to make them good for lumber? Well, that is not my personal goal and objective. Of course, we want our trees to perhaps produce lumber one day, but I don't always manage trees for lumber, and that's not always the most important thing because a lot of my clients would like to manage their properties for wildlife. And as I said before, there's a forestry measurement of acceptable growing stock, 
and unacceptable growing stock trees. Well, how do we define that? Forestry in itself is an art and a science and can be very subjective. And we know there's more than one way to skin a cat. So to answer your question, it really depends on our audience. Yes, acceptable growing stock trees are ones in which the DEC would coin as having a nice, straight, tall, 16-foot section that's merchantable. However, what about that tree that maybe is 10 feet of clean, clear section, and maybe that would sell as veneer? Is that considered an unacceptable growing stock tree? Absolutely not. That's why forestry is very subjective. When we're looking at the health of trees, yes, we want to manage them to be tall and straight and acceptable growing stock. However, you know, we don't always get that because it's it's a fine balance. We can't just look at a forest and say, okay, I'm just managing this for timber. Or perhaps maybe you do want to just manage it for timber. But in order to do that, we have to understand the entirety of the ecosystem so that we can keep that up through time. What about your clients who are lumber companies? Do most of them own their own forests or do most of them cut trees on other people's properties? Most lumber companies that are based out of New York State do harvest predominantly and rely on private forests to get their lumber. So they're offering people money to harvest their trees? Correct. Lori, I'm guessing that most of the people who would come to you for forest management advice would have their own properties. What kinds of advice do you give them so they can maintain either lumber production or a beautiful forest over the long term? I think that in order to do that, your heart and your mind really needs to be in it. And so does your pocket. However, but that's where we have these programs in New York that help offset the cost of forest-based activities because there are a lot of people that have woods and it makes them feel really good walking around in them. There have been studies done that just the microscopic dirt that gets kicked up from you walking in your forest increases the serotonin levels in your brain and is incredibly healthy for you. So... When it comes to someone's goals and objectives and how they want to feel in their woods or the products in which they want to get from their wood, there's a lot of information that we have to understand before we can actually execute an action plan, such as understanding the soil type, the soil depth. If you live on a mountain or a little hill, what aspect is it facing? What kind of streams are there? Are there any on your property? All of those things need to be taken into consideration and also must be protected so that we can achieve long-term goals of perhaps timber production. If somebody wanted to find you, Lori, can you tell us what your website is? Oh, sure. You can find me at dhwforestconsulting.com. Do you spend, you must spend a lot of time outdoors? Oh, yes, I spend a lot of time outdoors, yet there's some times that I'm indoors because I'm writing a management plan or uh, several of them for that matter. And then I just I get restless sitting at the desk. But needless to say, we always have to do things that we don't love doing. But I spend a lot of time out in the forest and it's a lot of fun and it's enjoyable. So now you know that it's possible to manage and maintain your forested property in a way that's both profitable and sustainable. Our expert forester today has been Lori Raskin, 
owner of DHW Forest Consulting. And this is Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Christine San Jose, Evan Padua, and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guest, consultant Lori Raskin, from her company DHW, speaking on the subject of forest conservation. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. Public Radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions providing tools for action and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org If you're asking yourself, what is crypto and why is Matt Damon trying to sell it to me? The problem might be that journalists haven't properly prepared us for this moment. Every news media outlet is going to be like, oh my goodness, something big is happening. 